Hi friends, I have some exciting news to share with you. My new book, Hang On, Let Go, What to Do When Your Dreams Are Shattered and Life is Falling Apart, is now available. The book also has a supplemental course for those who are going through an extreme trial and they want additional help and encouragement. The course is called Surviving Your Storm. To get the book and to check out the course, just go to hangonletgo, all one word, hangonletgo.com, and you will see all of it there. Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola, and he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. And we're going through every reference to the kingdom and the gospels. We hit a benchmark here, Brian. We finished every reference to the kingdom and the gospel of Mark. That was fun, too. Yeah, it's rich. Well, now we are going to look at every reference that is in Matthew, but not in Mark. And then after that, we're going to look at every reference that's in Luke, but not in Mark. Now, for those of you who are seminary trained, this is what some scholars call Q. And I'm not even going to get into that because it's not important. But the bottom line is we're looking at references that are in Matthew, not in Mark, and afterwards that are in Luke, not in Mark. And that's all you have to know. But we just wanted you all to know that we are educated <laughs> and we know what Q is. <laughs> yeah, just the sayings of Jesus, right? I mean, the sayings of Jesus, it, yeah. yeah. That's right. Now, before we look at the first reference of kingdom in Matthew, I came across a passage in Matthew 2, which does not use the word kingdom, but I thought it was awesome, so I wanted to share it. Now, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation, which really is not so much a translation as it is a paraphrase, in my view, but it's Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this. When he heard what? That the spiritual priests from the east were looking for a child who would be born king of the Jews. <laughs> and when Herod heard that, he was shaken to the core. And not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when he heard this news. Now, what's my point? My point is, the gospel of the kingdom, which is the message and the news that there is another king other than Caesar or other than the current rulership and government of whatever your country is, it's the news that there's another king and he has supreme authority and supreme rule. And what that does that news when people really believe it and pay their allegiance to this other king who is jesus of nazareth that news causes leaders to be shaken to the core and disturbed that's right because it, it's a threat and that's uh yeah the wise i call them the wise guys 
they show up there from the east saying, where's the king? <laughs> and that's, uh, that's destabilizing, right? And so it calls us, how are we going to react to that? Are we going to worship him like the wise guys? Or are we going to act yeah. with uh, Herod in Jerusalem? And what's Herod end up doing? He tries to kill him. And yeah. that's what's going to happen in the Gospels too, right? Right from the very beginning. Absolutely. you got you got to make a choice. And it's all throughout the book of Acts. It's why there were riots in every city where Paul went. And also you see it in Thessalonica. Yeah. There was a riot there because why? Paul and his co-workers were preaching another king, another Caesar. Now, here's the point. Is this happening right now in the United States of America? Are the governmental officials shaking in their boots because of talk of another king? And the answer, unfortunately, is no. And that's why I come back and say, Brian, that the insurgents, the gospel of the kingdom, has been lost to us. Wow. And that's why I wrote the book, Insurgents, because there is need for the restoration of that kind of gospel. And when it takes root, you start to see kingdom cells popping up and growing and then turning into kingdom communities. And if a people really believe this and they grow in numbers if a people who really believe this message and live it out grow in numbers then that's the effect it's going to have yes so that is something to consider waiting for the kingdom of god that's another application of that okay so now we're in the book of matthew and the first reference to the word kingdom it's not speaking of the kingdom of god but it's certainly speaking of kingdoms is in Matthew 4, 8. Yeah, and, no, and just notice how this follows, right? We get the announcement of a king in chapter 2, and now we're going to get the threat to that king actually enacting the kingdom in chapter 4. And we'll see what Jesus does. Yes, chapter 4, verse 8 of Matthew. Reading from the New American, Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Wow. So here we have a dichotomy yes. between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. And it's interesting. He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Now, this is just a, a side note because it's not really related to the topic at hand, but what did that look like when the devil took Jesus to a high mountain? How did he take him to that high mountain? Have you ever given that thought? You're a Bible scholar. You're, you're a leader in Israel. What, the, <laughs> what does that mean? How did he do that? You know, I, I guess I didn't come to actually answer that. But I mean, it, it, it looks like, <laughs> but I mean, you, it, teach, it, it, you get this picture of... You teach um, the course on Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and I really just focus more on the on the words in a sense, because it just sort of just looks like he gets there somehow, right? So you yeah. can imagine different things. And that's one of those places the text doesn't really tell us. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of a meat and potatoes, just focus on the text. And so I'm not 100% sure what that exactly means there, other than he gets transported up to the top of the mountains. I don't think they're taking a long hike because <laughs> that would take longer than 40 days to crawl up a mountain. So, but, but just yeah. think about that, though. That is yeah. very strange yeah, that yeah. Jesus would be levitated to a mountain because you don't see anything like that in the Gospels. The only thing that's close to that yeah, yeah. is Philip yeah. in the book of Acts where yeah. he vanishes yes, and then yeah. he's, he's transported, he's teleported somewhere else yeah, yeah. or he's beamed <laughs> 
to use Star Trek language, he's beamed somewhere else. But I've often wondered about that. Like, what did that look like? I mean, did the devil just, did he appear to him and speak to him and said, let's go to this high mountain? Or or like you say, was he levitated somehow? Well, it could it? also just be a, a visional kind of thing, too, because he's out in the wilderness, ah. right? Because he goes to Jerusalem. He takes him to the highest part of the temple. Perhaps, I mean, this could be as simple as they're talking in the wilderness and it's more like a, a vision. Yeah, he took him. Be. So that's why it's like it's... That's why I just like, we know what happens. And so I think, you know, the, the message here, I mean, focus on the words, you know, like what's the actual nature of the temptation? That's that's what I mostly get. Yeah. Those are the important things, But it's fun folks. to think about that, right? Yeah, these are incidentals. It's not important. It doesn't change anything significant one way or the other. It's just a curiosity question. Yeah, and yeah, since I, I have a Bible scholar with more degrees than a thermometer sitting in front of me, I thought he might know the answer. And I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and their glory. And so yeah. what I started to think about in making this applicable and making it noteworthy for a conversation is what are the differences between the kingdom of God? That's good. That is the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew uses the term and the kingdoms of this world. And so I made a little bit of a list. I'll just share it with you. Uh, Brian, I wanna hear what you have to say about it, because I'm sure you can add more than what I've got. All right, so the kingdoms of this world operate by fear of the sword. That's good. Which would be the military, etc., or the police. Titular power, which is power placed in position and titles. Hierarchy, which is top-down leadership. Trust in human power and ingenuity and intelligence. And it's marked by earthly glory and the pursuit of riches and political power. And then I have the kingdom of God, by contrast, operates by love. Love casts out fear. There is no physical violence or the threat of physical violence in the kingdom of God. There is no titular power. The kingdom does not operate by position or titles. You can find that in Matthew 23, verses 1 to 8. Do not call one another father or master or teacher, right? Jesus made clear that uh, titular power was not part of the kingdom of God. That's something I talk about in Reimagining Church because we have a lot of this positional, title-based power in many churches today, and I argue that runs contrary to what Jesus taught and how the kingdom operates. And, yeah, and what Paul says too, in, in Christ there's no there's Jew, no, Gentile, no. male, female, mm -hmm. slave-free. He takes out the, the status system the of the same. ancient world and yeah, creates an equal... It's the status of or we're all equal in Christ. Beautiful. And then there is no hierarchy in yeah, the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And again, in Reimagining Church, I make a case for this Matthew twenty twenty five. You know, do not be like the Gentiles. In the actual Greek, he's talking about top-down authority, one above another. And then he turns around and says, don't be like the Gentiles who operate by this hierarchy, but you are all brethren, is what he says. It shall not be so among you. That's another conversation, but there's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. 
And the trust is not in human power or ingenuity or intelligence. The trust is in God's power and God's wisdom. Earthly kingdoms are marked by earthly glory and the pursuit of riches. God's kingdom is marked by God's glory and the riches of Jesus Christ in their pursuit. What say you, Brian? No, I mean, that, that's a great list. I, I, would, I think you've hit on the key pieces. Again, power dynamic is, is, is a huge piece. We'd also have to say, even people in the ancient world had a sense that kingdoms switch off. In the, and so it's, it could be one kingdom after another. And oh, if you're yes. a Jewish person, you've already known that you've, you've run through since the exile, the Babylonians, the Persians. <laughs> Uh, the Greeks, they had Roman. a little bit of freedom. Then the, now the Romans uh, mm. are oppressing them massively. And uh, so there's the kings of this world are temporal, temporary. Even if you're not looking for something bigger, that it's it's different ages. We know our history. So we've been through the, you know, mm. the United States is kind of the big superpower. Now that wasn't true even 100 years ago, for example. So mm. uh, so it's, it's, there's that. So power, you know, like you already said, riches glory, temporary pieces, we've said status, hierarchy, fear. Well, when you were talking about the temporal nature of the kingdoms of this world, which I think is great, because the kingdom of God is eternal, has no end. I love that language in both Old and New Testament. But when you're talking about the Persians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans, one kingdom after another, one perishing, and then the other taking its place. I was reminded of those immortal words by the great prophet Pete Townsend, <laughs> meet the new boss, same as the old boss. That, that's a great line. <laughs> and, and the other piece I was going was gonna to throw in is, um, and this is implicit in some of the hierarchy thing, but we can make it even a, another point. Um, it's inclusive. Mm-hmm. The kings of the world are exclusive. Yes. God's kingdom is going to be Beautiful. every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Riff through all the things that divide us today. Every every skin tone, mm. <laughs> every different body shape, all of that. It's an inclusive kingdom that knocks down boundaries. And the, the, the kingdom of God is, uh, and that's Jesus models that in his ministry. He's always bringing outsiders that are desperate for what only God can give them and bringing them together to become a new people. So in the kingdoms of the world, it is the wealthy, the highly educated, the prominent, who are given the best seats in the house, so to speak. Yeah, first class, right? Yes, but in the kingdom of God, not many of you are noble, not many of you are educated, not many of you excel in the things of this world. It is to them who the kingdom is given. I'm paraphrasing 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Yeah. So it is to the weak. It is to the lowly. It is to the humble. You know, this is all Jesus, you know, turning the power structure and the prestige structure upside down in the kingdom of God. What is it? The first shall be last, the last first. So that's an excellent point. I will add it to my list. <laughs> and we can also just uh, throw in here... Here's Satan. You know, we already said back in chapter 2, I love the way to get into this. We know Jesus is the king from reading the text. We know he's the Messiah from the genealogy. And now he's grown up, and what's the one thing that can stop really Jesus from announcing the kingdom and ushering it in? It's, it's compromising with the devil. Mm. When we already know, back in Psalms, 
2.8, God had already promised the Messiah, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And so here we have the devil acting like he can give, uh, he's given Jesus something that uh, God's already guaranteed, essentially. It's really interesting. You know, I referenced Matthew 20, yeah, it's good. verse 25, and I also referenced Matthew 23, 1 to 8. It actually goes beyond verse 8. I actually want to read these. And I'm not even going to comment on them, Brian. I, I've commented on them and exegeted them in Reimagining Church. If people yeah. want to you know, drill down and look at the Greek words and so forth. But just listen to this because it again shows the stark contrast between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. All right. So here's Matthew 23. I'm starting with verse 1 in the New American Standard. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Case can be made that that's true for many politicians and unfortunately religious leaders today. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. That's good. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Verse 10, do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And verse 12, whosoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whosoever humbles himself shall be exalted. That's the basis for my comment, one of the bases for my comment about the kingdom of the world operating by titular and positional power in the kingdom of God not having that all right and then Matthew 20 verse 25 but Jesus called them meaning his disciples he called them to himself and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them verse 26 it is not this way among you but whosoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whosoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen. And in that book, Reimagining Church, I go into this whole business of hierarchy in the Ecclesia in great detail if anyone's interested. But the point is that the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God operate dramatically and profoundly different even oppositionally from each other well, that's good and 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 the temptation right because this is a temptation is yes. compromise yeah. with that because oh, god's yes. promising a better kingdom and that's what i mean this whole podcast is all about that and <laughs> it's living in anticipate it's living in the kingdoms of the world in anticipation and as a witness and is an embodiment in some ways of the true kingdom. And that compromise, uh, the, devil, the devil kind of makes it easy for Jesus. He's, he's just offering him the easy way minus the cross. Um, mm. And it's uh, it's interesting what um, 
Jesus just quotes from Deuteronomy, just, I mean, Deuteronomy is such an important book, but it's from Deuteronomy 6, right? Jesus uh, says back to him, you'll worship uh, the Lord your God only. We talked about the command to love the Lord your God in a previous uh, episode, but that, that is the, that's that Shema theology. The Shema is the great commandment, um, and, and uh, that's really what the temptation is, right? It's um, thinking that you can serve King Jesus and some other God at the same time is kind of an easier middle way or kind of hedging playing on both ways. That's what the devil's really trying to get Jesus to do. And so mm. I think it invites us when we think about that. I mean, obviously we're really glad, you know, we're rooting for team Jesus. So we're really glad that he, <laughs> he rebukes the devil here and the mm. and uh, moves in because what Jesus is going to do next is going to announce the kingdom in Matthew's gospel, right? Uh, yeah. This little text here, but uh, just this, this whole temptation seems so powerful because it just invites us, you know, where is our real allegiance? You know, I always ask myself, uh, one of my kind of deep dive spiritual formation questions, I I just always kind of flip it, um, you know, yeah, I want to love the Lord my God, I want to serve Him only, but where do I have leaks in my life? Because Jesus didn't have leaks, so He's able to just, no. But I think when we try to, we think about that, because that temptation's for us too, right? Um, You know, you have that great message, Clash of Kingdoms, remind me of that when we started talking, um, you know, but uh, the temptation for all of us is to... It's that classic tension. How do you live in the world, not be of the world? How do you manifest as an insurgent while still simultaneously living in, in the earth? And there's there's all those little compromises. So it's like, again, yeah, what are we tolerating in our lives as, uh, as believers that uh, might be maybe not the kingdoms of the whole world, but maybe just a little piece? It's interesting because here it is Jesus who is being tempted. Yeah. And what's the offer? I will give you the kingdoms of the world, all of them, with all of its power and its splendor and its glory and its prestige. That is the same temptation that confronts every individual, even the Christian. Yes. Especially when they get involved in some kind of system that's part of the world system. For example, it's a temptation for every person who dares to get into politics. That's why so many are corrupted. So many go in innocent and they end up profoundly corrupted. It is the temptation for every person who steps into the religious system, which I have argued is part of the world system, and that's another conversation. But the religious system, and God uses it, you know, he uses the political system. He works through all these systems, even though they're part of the world system. But so many men, particularly men, who have gotten into the religious system witnesses and I'm sure you have too I know you have they've been corrupted by the power that is available some men will give their left arm to have a title to be called something that puts them above others could be reverend could be doctor could be pastor could be bishop you know whatever it is and that title becomes their identity and it gives them the sense of pride and ego and yeah and this is what jesus was talking about in matthew the passage that i read and then there is the pull of not only power and prestige but money because people can get very wealthy in the political system and people can get very wealthy in the religious system and so my point is, is that Jesus is being tempted here, but he is representing every single human being. Yes, absolutely. Right? Who is going to be tempted with 
the world system in these areas that we're talking about. And we can notice Jesus gets to the cross. You know, sometimes we think, how did Jesus do that? We knew that he basically had to die to himself again in the in the Garden of Gethsemane. But at some level, it starts right here, and before he even does the ministry, it's right out here in the desert, and the guy's hungry. I mean, try <laughs> yeah. fasting. Try fasting. He's still a human being. If you think Jesus is a superhero, he's been fasting. He's it's hot. Imagine the sun beating down on you. You're fasting, and his weakest human, his flesh is weak, but he's strong because the spirit's with him, right? Uh, it's also got to say, just um, you know, we don't want to let the women off the hook that are listening too, because uh, I mean, at least in the Sorry, I mean, there's people listening internationally, but I mean, in the Western world, women have have increasing levels of of um, of, of freedom. So we have politics. Um, again, mm-hmm. depends on what tribe, but I mean, the religious the women are, are ordained, mm-hmm. so they have the, the so it's the, a bit. There's entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. We have billionaire female entrepreneurs now, and so it's it's this isn't just a man thing, but yeah. obviously, um, right. I mean, just to, just to add there, we don't want to we don't, we want to be inclusive. It so this is a this is a human problem, but obviously, uh, yeah. for most of human history, it's mostly these have been temptations for men yeah. in some ways. But yeah. it's a, in the modern world, it's um <laughs> it's it's a challenge for um both sexes. Oh, I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. No, I was thinking of that, but I just don't want to get any flaming emails from any of my sisters in Christ. Oh, oh yeah. Well, they can, they, can just, they can just send them to me. It's right there. No, but it's yeah. true. Yeah. It hits all of us. And even in our time now with social media, the different platforms that young people get on, yeah, know, that's, you that's can a good rise point. to a lot of power and prominence and money, even as a teen yeah on youtube and this yeah all true yeah Yeah. so it's good definitely the kingdoms of this world contrast deeply with the kingdom of god and sometimes it's helpful to kind of make these sort of comparisons you know because what's unfortunate is that if church history has shown us anything it's that the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of god have often been blended together and mingled and then justified in the name of religion yeah that's uh, i mean that is that's the that's the challenge and i think you mentioned already philippians 320 your citizenship is in heaven mm-hmm. the other piece where that citizenship word shows up it's hidden in a lot of the english translations but paul actually does it twice in philippians uh, philippians 127 a lot of translations just say something like um only live your life worthy of the gospel, but the, the word that's hiding under there is actually the verb form of citizen. Only the New Living Translation brings the nuance out in English, but it's it really ought to be translated something like, only be a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and what's powerful about that, and this fits right in here, is who's Paul writing to? The Philippian church were his, um, his patron church, because they had wealth, mm-hmm. and a lot of the believers were Roman citizens, so yes. they had privileges, so yes. they were in. Yes, and uh, Paul's basically subverting those very claims to remind them that there's a different kingdom that we have to live live for. Again, Paul's a Roman citizen, so he, you know, he was able to essentially leverage that in some ways to further the gospel. But the, his the whole point is your ultimate allegiance isn't to Rome even if you're a Roman citizen. Your mm. ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus and we can't ever forget that our true citizenship is in yes. heaven. And so the danger then is to think, as we've seen through church history, um, you're going to, to war for your country and you think God's on your side. Well, so does the other person thinks that too. And so it's kind of ironic that uh, mm. everybody fighting thinks God's on their side. And I'm thinking, uh, no, God probably doesn't want people killing each other. 
Well, in all these things that we're sharing, and right now, I guess we're talking about the temptations of the kingdoms of this world. Yeah, yeah. You know, Brian and I are not beyond any of these temptations. No. And so it's great to talk about them. It's great to remind one another of them, and that's why we're doing this episode, is to remind you that the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God are intention in the worst possible way. <laughs> They're completely opposed to each other, and we want to encourage you and inspire you to stay true to that other kingdom, which is eternal, which will never end, and which operates completely differently from the kingdoms of this world. My takeaway encouragement would be spend a little bit of time looking at your situation, yeah. your job, your career, what you're involved in, if you're in ministry, if you're part of a organization, and think through some of these dichotomies and differences that we've listed and bring them before the Lord. And if you are impressed to adjust something, do so. I have met many, many men, and I know you have too, that stepped out of their jobs. Uh, both in the secular world, in the political world, and even in the religious world, because their eyes were open to see that, for them at least, their hearts began to be captured by the spirit of the world in those systems. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and again, there are examples, like we have Daniel. He had to serve in Babylon, but you can read his story mm -hmm. of how he was able to stay true to God, even yep. Esther in some ways. So we do have models Joseph, in, 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 in Scripture, example. Joseph in, in the book of Genesis. Yep. And so, like for me personally, what I'm a big I'm a big journaler, but you know, one of the questions I said it already, but um, a real takeaway is is that tolerations question. You know, mm -hmm. what, what am I tolerating? And that's a devastating question if you right. answer it honestly. What am I tolerating? Where are the leaks in my life? And again, this isn't about legalism. And you can read, again, in Insurgents, Frank does such a great job talking about the difference between either having no law, doing whatever you want, or just or being legalistic. And that's, and that's not what we're talking about. We're not trying to be legalistic. We're mm -hmm. not putting guilt trips. But in some level, it's about allegiance, right? And so we have to decide, you know, what positive practices do we embody that allow us to move more and more and live more and more into the likeness of Jesus, what things do we need to eliminate? Where are the leaks at in our lives so that we can function fully? And, and, and be around brothers and sisters that have the same mind, have the mind of Christ, and, and support one another in yeah. this whole, uh, whole journey. I mean, we've had great conversations this weekend since you've been down in Orlando, and so, you know, you've spoken really meaningfully into my life I can say just the last couple of days, so I just want to thank you for, uh, you know, it's good. These are, we don't, we're not in these... Uh, uh, these questions we ask, we're not in this by ourselves. Yeah. We got Amen. the Lord and we got one another. Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. And we need we need one another. Uh, this is not an individualistic journey. There is no way that any Christian can survive by themselves. We have to have fellowship. And that's one of the reasons why I have events. And it's one of the reasons why I created the Deeper Christian Life Network, which is, to my mind, the best thing I have ever done from a ministry capacity beyond the books and these podcasts and so forth. Amen. So we'll end it there. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.